Welcome to Shift, a college admissions ACT and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable, and Achievable has an affordable ACT course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to get you better results in less time. You can get a free trial at achievable.me, and if you like it, use the code podcast to get 10% off your ACT course at checkout. Also, if you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss in a future episode, please contact me at tyler at achievable.me with the subject line podcast topic. So let's get started. Today, we have Scott Clyburn with us from North Avenue Education. Scott, I'd love if you could just give a quick introduction uh, so people know your expertise and, and what your company does. Great. Thanks for having me, Tyler. So my name is Scott Clyburn. I'm the founder and director of North Avenue Education. I've been a uh, professional educator since 2005. I specialized in college and uh, graduate test prep, college admissions essays, and graduate admissions personal statements, and especially coaching uh, students with learning differences or neurodiversity. Uh, Mm, The company I started, yeah, So the company I started is called North Avenue Education. Uh, We're based in Portland, Oregon. Uh, We have operations in Portland and online. Uh, We specialize in individuated test prep and academic tutoring. Uh, We believe every student can be prepared for a vibrant future with the right instruction. Fantastic. And so today, uh, with every all of your sort of admissions knowledge, I'm really excited to do this one, which is the test optional admissions. What does the data say, mm. right? And I think that's that's something that has been a popular topic both on this podcast and in general is test optional admissions and whether it's here to stay, whether it's actually um, you know either improving mm-hmm. accessibility or, or or kind of on the flip side, whether it actually is showing that the tests either don't matter or do matter. So I'm really curious uh, what you feel like the data says and if you could take it from the top, what do you think is the most important takeaways? Of course. Yeah, thanks. Um, So, you know, test optional admissions, uh, it's taken a while to gather some data. You know, I I think for Mm -hmm. at least for 2020 and even uh, the first part of 2021, um, it just... it we didn't have enough data to make any conclusions or um, to kind of see any trends emerge. So now right. that we're kind of entering the third admission cycle where we're test optional, actually we're in the middle of the third admission cycle where test optional is, is dominant um, as the, uh, you know, standardized testing policy for most colleges in the United mm-hmm. States, we can begin to kind of step back and say, okay, here's what we're seeing. Um, here's what's, what seems to be playing out as, as this trend continues um, or this policy continues. So uh, the first one that I'd like to to point out is that desirable colleges, those that are you know uh, fairly um, prestigious and and selective in their admissions, you know they admit maybe uh, fewer than a third of their um, of their applicants, uh, they're seeing a significantly higher volume of applications as a result of the test optional policy. It's just uh, there mm. are fewer obstacles to apply to colleges, right? And so what right. that's what that's meant uh, for their admission statistics is that they've actually gotten more selective. Um, right. That that great selectivity uh, stat that I think the U- I think somebody else said that the U.S. News World Report has actually uh, decided that their college list will no longer take the admissions rate, like or acceptance rate, excuse me, into account at either as much or at all because mm-hmm. of how different it is. If your test optional versus yeah, not, yeah, exactly. Right? They've definitely had to yeah. tweak their their algorithms and, and equations a little bit uh, as a result of some of these changes. So you know, 
it would it would seem um, at least the common kind of perception of test optional is that you know a, a highly selective school or a school that uh, has traditionally been very difficult to get into would maybe be slightly easier to get into. Um, there's fewer barriers, fewer hoops uh, students have to jump through, etc. Um, but in fact, what, what happens is that uh, this policy actually boosts those colleges' popularity, and they become more attractive and desirable. Right. Uh, so they, you know, solicit many more applicants uh, to apply for not an increased number of spots. I mean, most of these colleges are not building yeah. new dorms or, you know, radically expanding their um, their freshman classes to accommodate the additional applicants that are that want to go there. Um, so what that means is, with with uh, a limited number of spots and more applicants, you your admit rate actually decreases. So some examples um, to kind of establish, uh, you know, maybe a concrete picture of this trend. Uh, UCLA Mm -hmm. established the the national record of almost 150,000 applicants for the class of 2022. Uh, So, yeah, so... um, Yeah, that that was the the highest number of of applicants for any college um, uh, on record. (laughs) They probably have their hair on fire at the admissions office over there, right? Mind you, they're test blind, right? The the whole um, UC system does not consider test scores at all uh, due to a lawsuit uh, and the decision of the Board of Regents. And then NYU, uh, for a private school, they crested 100,000 applicants. So they were the highest in, in the private uh, sector. And the admission rates of just two different schools to kind of um, pivot to, to kind of the the most highly selective, Stanford and Harvard, they both fell to just over 4% and 3% respectively. Wow. So if you think about it, Harvard, for every 100 applicants, and most of those are pretty qualified, uh, they're admitting three. Uh, so that really, right. really reduces your chances. Yeah. Well, and I, I think somebody said on a different episode, which I liked, was um, it's not like you apply to Harvard and you just have a three out of 100 flat rate lotto chance of getting in, right? Absolutely. It just means that it's even more like they have to pick e- the the cream of the crop always, mm-hmm. right? Like they're always picking arguably the kind of top five to 10% to admit. Now it's even less mm-hmm. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. they, that they can pick as a percentage. I mean- yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like it's, it seems like a double-edged sword to me a little bit. Absolutely. You know, I, I think one of the reasons that we haven't seen a lot of colleges announce an extension of their test optional policies for next fall uh, for the students who will be applying in fall 2023 um, is that, you know, many of them actually want to return to requiring scores, but there's all these trade-offs that they have to stomach. They're going to see a lower applicant volume. Uh, they're probably going to see the the range of uh, scores for admitted students decrease because right now they have only self-selecting students submit their scores. So those tend to be higher scoring students. So their numbers look really good, right? right? And that's good for U.S. News & World Report rankings. It's good for their you know admitted students kind of fact sheet that they publish in the spring every year. Um, so there's some incentives to to or actually say, I should say disincentives to um, going back to requiring scores. But it, it seems that they're waiting uh, probably because they want to. You know, I mean, if they really were happy with things as they were, they wouldn't wait every year like this to, to say, you know, next year we're not going to submit, we're not going to require scores again. Next year we're not going to require scores again. They would just say, oh, we're not requiring scores indefinitely. So I think many of them are, are right. kind of hedging their bets and trying to decide like when's the right moment. Maybe that has to do with, you know, looking at the statistics of students that they did admit uh, in under test optional conditions, maybe in 2021. 
or it could be mm-hmm. just waiting for the right moment <laughs> as far as the news cycle goes, you know, because uh, it's right. it's always a big surprise when, when schools do go back like MIT or Purdue or Georgetown went back this year and, and those made headlines. Well, and I feel like it's a little bit of everybody's waiting to see what everyone else is going to do because of the U.S. news ranking reports, right? Like, I think that when you have, like, it, it kind of created a race to the bottom a little mm-hmm. bit when it comes to the admissions rate, right? Because if you have a, if you are Harvard and you have an admissions rate now of 3% because you had so many people apply, but you have the same number of spots... And then your MIT, and now your admissions rate is back up to like eight, nine percent mm-hmm. because you're no longer allowing people to be test optional, mm-hmm. right? Like there is an incentive there mm-hmm. if the the rankings are based off of that statistic to stay test optional just for the sake of the stats, right? right? Um, and similar, like similar dynamic with the ACT and SAT scores. So I feel like it's definitely a lot of people are just like trying to see what everyone else is going to do. I would bet if that, if a few more prominent schools like MIT go back Mm -hmm. to requiring tests, I feel like that would start the wave, but if they don't, then it might be more muddled going forward. I agree. I think, I think uh, a lot of schools are looking at their, their direct peers. I mean, we saw, you know, the, the state institutions in Georgia go back to requiring and that caused Florida and then Tennessee to go back to requiring. So, you know, it, it often has to do with who do colleges view as their competitors, so to speak, uh, vying for students, mm-hmm. right? So if, if your competitors are all doing something, you're, you're more likely to do it yourself. So, but all this has left students just confused, right? Like it's, it's not a very easy uh, admissions landscape to navigate as a student. So the second yeah. trend that I wanted to talk about was, was actually uh, new data has been released from Common App, or actually it was released uh, back in the summer, and, uh, but, but a new report by uh, Higher Ed Dive um, just came out, yeah, I think it was yesterday or on Monday, uh, really analyzing oh, some wow. of this data. Okay. Yeah, so, so what we're seeing is that um, students are applying to more schools overall to hedge their bets um, right. and submitting test scores strategically to some of those schools, but not to all. Right, so they're kind of being mm-hmm. much more selective and strategic in in uh, when they choose to share their test scores. Um, so the average student, just some some numbers to back this up, uh, the average student now submits six point two two applications, up from four point six three applications eight years ago. So in the past eight years, okay, fifty percent exactly more, about fifty percent increase in in number of applications per student. Thirty two percent of students now submit eight or more applications total through the common app. And the, the percent of students who submit 10 or more, think about it, that's a lot. That's a lot of work, right? Has doubled in the past right. eight years. Wow. Okay. So you've just got a bunch, you know, it does give you the ability to kind of be like a super user mm-hmm. and just apply to a bunch of spots. Also, I mean, common app who I, I don't really have a strong opinion on, but I think net is probably a positive thing mm. for the whole for process, access, right? Yeah. Um, Common App is is also probably making it easier to apply to multiple schools. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that those are maybe not surprising from a, um, and not surprising that Common App would be the, the uh, you know, the platform that's sort of touting these statistics or figures, but. Right. Yeah. It's kind of their goal. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. To democratize, you know, uh, applying to college. 
But what, what was interesting is that inside higher ed, or excuse me, higher ed dive, um, found mm. did, did crunch the numbers and, and found that there were kind of some some pretty um, stark trends among different um, profiles of students. So higher volume applicants, okay. which this study uh, defined as uh, fifteen or more applications per student. So that's that's like the higher wow. end, right? The upper upper threshold of um, of students, but I, I would imagine that these characteristics that I'm going to unpack uh, probably apply to, to maybe slightly lesser degree to students who submitted ten or more or eight or more applications. Um, but right. these students who, who submitted fifteen or more applications were eight times as likely to submit test scores, and they scored mm. on average 130 points higher on the SAT than low volume applicants. And the researchers define low volume applicants as five mm. or fewer applications so right 10 or 15 or more applications eight times eight times as likely to submit test scores that's kind of the opposite of what i expected mm. right because my my logic for i'm going to apply to 15 schools is that like my test score i'm going to apply test optional to the majority mm. of them and because my test scores are low and i'm just going to hope that you know a little bit of kind of spray and pray strategy mm -hmm. works in my favor here mm -hmm. and i still have like two or three good choices not submitting test scores even if my over like even if my chance with an individual school might be lower i have 15. that was my like that was my assumption mm -hmm. so it's the opposite of that would like do you have any thought as to why that would be the case you know the the best the best explanation or conclusion that i can draw from this is that uh you know ambitious, uh, high-flying kids, they've seen two cycles now of, of their peers um, applying kind of in this like really high applicant volume um, for selective schools. And they've seen just such scattershot results. Uh, so they, uh. they've seen their, their, you know, older siblings maybe or upperclassmen on their sports teams, you know, not get into their dream schools or even their dream five schools uh, just because there's just so many more kids applying right now that they're, they're deciding, you know what, I've got to really cast a wide net here. I've got to make myself the most competitive applicant I can. And even then I've got to apply to more schools to ensure that at the end of the admission season, I actually have some place to go. Hmm. Yeah. But it, it, I would assume, and maybe, and so maybe this is the, the sort of the distinction. I would assume if you're, you know, 130 points higher SAT and submitting your test scores, I that you're more likely to get in. Or is it that they're just they're applying to much more selective schools as well, to the point where it's like the selectivity of the school is kind of outweighing their own. In like their own, I don't know what you'd call it, like level of application or yeah, quality of application. So this is where it gets really, really complex, and there's a real lack of transparency from colleges on um, some of the factors and some of the some of the um, statistics around this. But I would suspect that that one of the reasons colleges are remaining test optional is it gives them a lot more leeway to admit who they really want to. It, you know, requiring mm -hmm. test scores, I mean, just like requiring anything, really kind of binds your hands, especially when test scores um, uh, or test uh, scores statistics are kind of rewarded by mechanisms like U.S. News and World Reports. Um, right. And, and colleges want to have higher ranges of, of test scores. So if they're emitting at least some proportion of their, of their class without scores, they're able to kind of use other, you know, 
profiles, uh, really reward other things that they maybe care about uh, just in addition to test scores, high, high scores. Um, but without seeing those scores, they kind of have sort of just like a maybe there's a, a veil of darkness that allows them to kind of do whatever they want to some degree. And this, these could be you know, right. for, for good reasons or, or, or nefarious reasons. I mean, I imagine there's some colleges that are emitting way more legacy and sports or athletics, athletes, uh, applicants than they were before. Um, mm. And those kids are applying to exceptional and they're sort of like, all right, you probably wouldn't get in on the basis of your scores, but we don't care because we really want you. You know, you're a good rower or you're a great football player or, or you know, your dad donated a right. million dollars to our film school. Um, so that's sort of the, the icky side of it. But then on the you know, maybe the social justice and, and benevolent side. I think there are, you know, a lot of colleges who are letting in needy, lower income, you know, first gen kids uh, who otherwise they would have a really hard time admitting if they were submitting their scores because those kids do tend to score lower on, on average. And that's not right. to do with the test. That's to do with educational access and opportunity. Um, yeah. I mean, that that is essentially what you're talking about is – in as far as I can tell, the entire premise of test optional, right? Mm -hmm. Like the the whole point of it is that there are people that you would want to admit, but you can't, you haven't been able to because you've got to maintain this threshold of a test score. Right. But I mean, while I think the test itself is as fair as it can be, and standard, right? It's a standardized test. It is also because it's standard, it's not going to take into account the background of the person right. taking it or the resources that they had or whatever right? right and you know all things equal more money more resources generally speaking more money means house in a nicer neighborhood means better school like all of like you know this is very average mm -hmm. but like those are things that the test optional idea was that we we could break some of those cycles or give people like more opportunity to get out of them so it is interesting that you think it's kind of that both there are good things happening and bad things happening. I think I'm, I tend to agree with you. Um, and then the question becomes what, what kind of school really is served by having the opportunity to admit these kids that they would want to admit, but before they couldn't because of their test scores. Right. Like I, I think that there's probably some colleges where that's really important to them. Yeah. Um, and that they really want to try and like both build a b more diverse student body, but also, you know, they might be, you talked about film school, maybe there's some people that they want in their film school that don't test very well. Right. And they have the opportunity to do that now. So right. it's interesting. Right. And, you know, it, it should be said that, uh, there are wealthy applicants who don't test well. <laughs> and so they want to be, well, that's they it, want yeah. to be able to admit those people too, because they, you know, they're going to pay full tuition. Um, so there's all kinds of. Yeah, you know, incentives and, and factors that colleges have to consider when they're when they're implementing a policy such as this. And I think what we've been focused on um, as an organization is really trying to get the word out and, and um, advocate for more transparency and, and more more information and data from colleges parts mm -hmm. on colleges parts uh, to help students, you know, decide what to do for them. Because I think one of the stories that we hear frequently is like, oh well, you know, I'm not a good test taker, so. I'm just going to apply with my GPA. And it's like, well, okay, but, you know, are you really considering what your cohort of what your direct peers are doing? Because, you know, other students at your school, they may have as good or higher of GPA than you and they're submitting their test scores. 
So if mm-hmm. a college has the the choice between two kids who look otherwise very similar, you know, and and for one student they have more information, and for the other student they have less information, and that more actually does testify to a greater college preparedness, why wouldn't they choose that right. student, right? Right. That's, that's exactly kind of the, that's, that is the counter argument that I think is, is I'm hearing a lot, right. Is, is essentially, and this is where the people come in and and say that it's, it's, you know, test preferred, Mm -hmm. right. Which I do think is probably true for some Mm -hmm. schools. Um, It's this idea that you don't have to submit test scores, but like, it's one of the only objective quantitative data points that they get, right. Because GPAs got, you know, GPAs are kind of inflated now, or that's something I've heard a lot too. And yeah. It's all, it's kind of a whole thing. So I think it'll be, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to hear if you think that there will maybe be a divergence based on kind of the, the type of school. And when I say type of school, I do think that there's lots more types in this, but just like at a, when I think of that statement, I think at a high level, like the very tippy top right? The MITs of the world and the Harvards and the Stanfords, are they going to go a different direction than, you know, a top 30, top 50 private school like Carnegie Mellon, my alma mater? And then are they going to go a different direction than like state schools and things like that, right? Yeah. Do you, do you have any thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, well, I'll, I'll preface my response with with a third trend that we, that we dug into, um, Great. Over the past three years. So I mentioned earlier that there's kind of a lack of transparency on colleges' parts. That's something we hope will change uh, moving forward. But um, so far, colleges have, have pretty infrequently disclosed, uh, you know, the, the various admit rates for, for different student cohorts or applicant cohorts, such as submitter, submitters mm-hmm. versus non-submitters for test scores. Right. Uh, but when they do disclose those, and I'll talk next about why I'm, I'm talking about this because it's a certain kind of school that does disclose it. Uh, we right. see that on average, submitting test scores does tend to increase your admissions chances by about 1.5 times to two times. So, right. you know, yeah. 1.5 times or two, twice as likely to get in if you submit your test scores than if you did not. Yeah, that's a pretty substantial difference. Exactly, yeah. And, and especially, you know, um, for some of these schools that have very very low admit rates, you know that's it's still not very many kids, but you know you're you're increasing your chances pretty significantly. So some of the, what are those schools, mm-hmm. right? The schools that tend to be test preferred are the schools that are a bit more open with the fact that they, um, you know, do give kind of a preference to submitters either explicitly on their websites in their policy section or through the, the statistics and data that they release. Uh, they're your right. kind of uh, small East Coast liberal arts schools. Places like Amherst mm. College, Barnard, Boston, uh, Boston College, Boston University, Colgate-Davidson, right. um, other mid-Atlantic schools like Emory, um, even uh, specific STEMI schools like Georgia Tech. Um, right. And I think Georgia Tech, though, is also a state school, actually. Which may, So I think that fell into the Georgia decision. Right. Which, Statewide you know, Georgia decision, yeah. May may or may not be sort of a political stance, but <laughs> correct. <laughs> that's a whole yeah, can but of worms. to some degree, they they view themselves potentially as a peer to MIT, right? So I'm yeah, sure yeah. they were they, I think fighting so. that decision too hard. Um, you know, they probably would have if MIT did not go back to requiring. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. So I think then, I mean, I, I like that last trend that you highlighted um, because the, the thing, whenever you have a data set that is based on people volunteering data and you mm. don't get all of it, you always have to think about what is the bias of the people that are sharing the data and, and actually making it public. And it's interesting that the, the groups that are making it public are the ones that are actually admitting more people with test scores, right? Um, yeah. It's like, it, it's a little bit, like I said, like, you know, if you were to ask me uh, in, a, in a black box, who would, who would be the ones to share their data on their admit rates for test optional students? I'd say probably the people that are admitting just as many test optional students as test submitted students so that they can be like, look at us, we're giving everyone an equal shot, but that's actually not right. been what's going on. Right. Yeah. It. Um, so do you, that's, I just find that interesting too. And it's, you know, challenging another one of my assumptions. I wonder if you have any thoughts about why the, the selective schools are the ones sharing their data. Hmm. I think I'll take one example. So, uh, Georgetown, the Georgetown university, um, I can't remember if it's the Dean of enrollment or what his title is, but he, mm-hmm. he was, uh, He's been at that post a while, and, and he's kind of a veteran, you know, enrollment management uh, professional, and so maybe he's toward the end of his career and, and has uh, fewer um, qualms about speaking he's openly. Ar- <laughs> yeah, he's uh, Arnold Schwarzeneggering it. Yeah, as, as you yeah, perhaps say in California. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's sort of like I'm just going to be you know blunt and honest. Um, he says, "Look, we this is this is really valuable information. We want." kids to submit this information. We, we, we think it helps us make better decisions. We think it really does help uh, our predictive analyses of student success at Georgetown. Mm-hmm. And before this is before actually they went back to required. Um, he, he basically said, mm. you know, we really, if you're submitting, if you're applying to Georgetown, please submit your scores. We, we, we want to see them. We think it would be really, really helpful in, in reviewing your information. And, and you know, uh, there's a lot of other schools that say that in so many words on our website, schools like uh, Yale and, and Harvard say something very similar. They say this information actually does help us make better decisions. Um, but it's right. interesting that they haven't gone back to requiring it because they must have made, you know, their own internal calculations that not requiring it, the benefits are, are you know, higher than requiring it. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious, like um, you said something just a second ago that I wanted to come back to, uh, which was about the... Um, you know, the, the Georgetown admissions officer saying, Hey, this is helpful. Please do this. I, I just, I, I wonder if that's kind of what all the admissions officers are thinking, but you know, they don't want to be the one that kind of like steps out of line first. Right. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting one. I, I think that that's probably true on the whole. I do think that there are some, you know, true believers in test optional out there, mm-hmm. people like John Beckenstedt, the um, dean of enrollment at OSU, Oregon State in my state. Um, you know, these are these are people who have been in the, the test optional camp for a, a long time, and um, they really mm-hmm. believe that they're doing God's work uh, with, with that policy. Uh, but I, I do think that the majority of, of enrollment managers and, and presidents and deans of, of uh, admissions around the, coll- around the country are are pretty familiar with the old system. You know, they 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 knew what worked. Um, there's there's right. very complex, uh, you know, 
forecasting, uh, you know, around this and, and they didn't want to disrupt the process too much. They really did it not, not to kind of make some sort of ideological statement, but, uh, as a stopgap during COVID when a lot of test sites were canceled. And so right. now that that's passed and, and test sites are, are happening with greater, greater frequency and there's, there's COVID is not as significant of a threat, at least um, in the population of, of high school students. It's, they're sort of like, well, hold on. We, we get, we saw a really big gain or benefit here. Is it really, are we really willing to risk that going back? Yeah, I, I mean, and the last piece of the data, which I don't think you have, slash I don't think anyone really has in a robust form yet, but is the thing that I actually really want to see in this whole debate is like, so, okay, we have like admit rates for tests optional versus not. What about what happens when they get to the college? Like, are tests optional people performing at the same level as people that submitted their scores? And essentially, or like, you know, I, I'm assuming that they probably look back at their data and they say, okay, so here's all the scores that people submitted and then here's their GPAs and filtered by major and whatever. I'm just guessing yeah. that that's what I would do. No, and, and so like, you know, where do the test optional people fall in that, in that? Are they towards the bottom? Are they actually right in the middle? You know that would make a big difference in in the in, like whether it's basically a good idea for the school's long term academic competitiveness. Exactly. Yeah. And that and the ones that have said that they're running like a you know a three year or four year pilot. Uh, Harvard falls into this camp. Tufts another one. Um, these these schools are are really committed to measuring the outcomes and hopefully tr reporting transparently on those outcomes. Uh, in other words, they, they want to wait until they have enough data to make a, a really informed decision about the impact of this policy on their graduation and retention rates for, for admitted students. Um, I, even NACAC, the, the college counseling uh, professional organization, is, is going to conduct a, a big multi-year study um, on kind of the, the outcome and the, and the retention rates of students admitted who are admitted without test scores. But here's the thing, it's, there's a strong incentive for colleges to make sure those kids graduate, you know, and, uh, right. and not go back, right? So, so I think one of the things that'll be interesting to watch is what kinds of programs are developed for support and, you know, counseling and tutoring and, you know, what, how, and how are faculty being expected to, um, I don't want to say lower standards, but you know, to, to kind of coach and make accommodations for their students who are not doing well. I mean, we've seen a, a, the other big, you know, s slew of headlines this past fall has been students uh, who finished high school in COVID in remote schooling. They're not doing well in college. They're really struggling with right. mental health, with completing assignments, with meeting deadlines, staying organized. And, you know, the professors are on the front line of that struggle. And so they're the right. ones kind of telling the enrollment managers, hey, this is, we got to go back to requiring scores. Uh, so it's, it's all about the business of, of college. <laughs> right. Well, and it's a, and so the, I think kind of to wrap this conversation up, the thing that's so tough about that is that you, if you're just trying to run like a pure AB test, it would be really helpful to have everything kind of be the same. And the problem is that there's this huge confounding variable, which is COVID, right? And there might even be, you know, just to throw out sort of an idea, like there might be a correlation between 
test optional COVID, like test optional people who did not submit scores who went to high school during COVID are worse off than test optional people who did not submit scores who didn't go to high school during COVID, right? right? But you wouldn't find that out for like eight years. Right. So it's, it's, and, and, and I mean, that it's, those are kind of things that makes a certain kind of sense. So it's an interesting problem. In fact, no, and I wonder, yeah, I just wonder, like, if it's, you know, that, that these things will be conflated in a way that will kind of like strangle test optional in the cradle a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to kind of just piggyback on that last point, there's actually no one in school right now who didn't experience COVID, right? I mean, the only, the only, yeah, the only yeah, people exactly. who, who, would be going to school without COVID would be, you know, born maybe this year. <laughs> right. So it's going to take 18 yeah, years. And also like, there, right. 18 years to find out. And there's the whole thing of like, you know, even as far back as like third through fifth grade, I've heard that the, the essentially it's like a, a very large drop. Mm-hmm. Like I think some, and I don't know exactly what the metric is. So I, I'm, I'm wary of saying more, but there was a very large drop in, the like reading performance and math performance of third through fifth graders that were went through COVID during that time. Absolutely. Right. So it's like now yeah. we've kind of, it's like this sort of bumper that's like going to go through the system and get older. Right. And it's going to affect everybody. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully yeah. those younger kids are a bit more resilient. Right. Um, and they have a, or like, catch yeah, up. they have a lot, yeah. a lot more years to, to catch up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. This has been Shift, a college admissions podcast for a changing world, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Scott Clyvern from North Avenue Education. And you can get a free trial of Achievable's ACT course at achievable.me. And if you like it, use the code podcast to get 10% off at checkout.